And I think the most important thing that came out of that John Hopkins report is that we have a broken system. We have a system that's concentrating on the wrong things, mm -hmm. a system that is not um, living up to the potential of what we aspire to in terms of public education in America. And we have, it, we have plenty of people in this state, and I would even argue in this nation or in this city, that want to roll up their sleeves and do something. Dr. Garfield was the principal of Pleasant View Elementary School in Providence from 2011 to 2016. She helped take that school from this. In 2011, Pleasant View did not have wireless internet, wow. nor did they have computers that actually worked. Wow. They didn't have laptops for kids. There were no iPads in the building. 2011, like that, that's a decade and a year into the 21st century. To this. Dr. Garfield, or Dr. G as she's known to her students, is the driving force behind the change at Pleasant View Elementary. In what had been an underperforming school, Field introduced technology to stimulate the kids. Today, part two of our series on the Providence School's state takeover. In order to look more closely at problems and solutions in Providence, I decided to talk to Dr. Garfield, who is credited with stimulating major improvements at a Providence elementary school. Stay with us. From the Brown Political Review, I'm Rachel Lim. And I'm Morgan Honor. This is BP Radio. Morgan, can you give me a little refresher of what's going on in Providence? Sure. So, this past summer, Johns Hopkins released a report that confirmed what people in Providence have known for decades. The school system is failing kids. State leaders stepped in and opted for a state takeover of the Providence schools, giving full control to the new education commissioner, Angelica Infante-Green, and out of the hands of the school board and the mayor. Well, this school year is almost a third over. Has anything changed? Actually, not really. The schools were officially taken over by the state on November 1st, but the commissioner has still not picked out a new superintendent. Also, the official takeover plan will not be released until January. So what does this mean? Basically, there is still a lot of room for speculation of what the state is going to do. Optimistically, this means there is a chance of a real overhaul of the whole system, instead of just the shifting of financial burdens. If I remember anything from the last episode, it sounds like it's needed. But what now? Who can make this kind of change? I actually had the same question, which is why I landed in a high school class listening to Dr. Garfield. So I don't even know where we were. Where were we? Uh, oh, becoming an educator. Yes. It's pretty remarkable Gara ended up in Providence, Rhode Island in 2011. She started her educational career at her alma mater, a small private school in New Hampshire. She then got her master's in education at Harvard and a doctorate at UConn and became an education psychology professor at the University of Georgia, where she was comfortably up for tenure. But she wanted something more. I don't, I, it's, it's miraculous that I got the job at Pleasant View, actually. I had never been a school leader. Mm -hmm. I had had 
dreams of being one since kind of midway through my educational career and Pleasant View took a chance on me. And it was, it was the best decision I ever could have made. At the beginning, however, it did not look like the best decision. And when I first got to Pleasant View, so I came in the fall of 11, and I started, I think, in July. By that September, we were identified as one of the persistently low-achieving schools mm-hmm. and in the state. And as a result, we were going through this transformation process, and that's what I was talking about. We started applying for these grants because, right. you know, something needed to change. And in some ways, I, th- I saw that as an opportunity. In other ways... You know, if we didn't do it, what they knew was I wouldn't be the principal there much longer because that was, at the time, part of the race to the top formula was get rid of the current principal. Like, that was just one of the baseline things. Wow. I was like, but I just started like a month ago. Can you, <laughs> like, give me a minute? Um, and so we had a reason to work together. When Gara arrived at Pleasant View Elementary, it was identified as one of the lowest performing schools in the state. The school caters to difficult populations, including more than double the state average of students receiving special education, and over 80% of students qualifying for free or reduced price lunch. With a situation like this, it was hard to decide where to even start. So Gara did the only thing she knew how, rolled up her sleeves and got to work. But she couldn't do it alone. And I'd seen teachers from all over the country, and I'm, I'm telling you, some of the best teachers I have ever seen and worked with were right there at Pleasant View. Wow. But what they didn't have were resources. They didn't have um, structures and systems in place to, like, put a, put a vision, to, to, make this, to make a vision reality. Mm-hmm. And I feel like the work that we did together, like, it, it went, I mean, it connected to what... This baseball player, Bob Tuxbury, um, I stole his line, which was, have a dream, make a plan, do the work. And, and I've taken that with me in anything I've ever done. In a place like that, that has so much need, mm-hmm. you cannot expect the teachers and the administration um, to, to do this work alone when right. the need is so much. Right. So that's what we did. We ended up getting both grants at the same time, wow. which we didn't expect to get either. And we did a lot of work and and the mantra was it was not about the tests that's the one thing and it was not even about the technology it's how teachers use technology to differentiate instruction meet kids where they are and have them grow that was our plan and that's exactly Mm -hmm. what the teachers did because things started improving the culture started improving the test scores started going up I said if we do this I don't want you to worry about the test scores because the test scores will take care of themselves if the engagement of the kids change if right. the parents are bought in, if we are creating a culture that is um, thriving in many ways, mm-hmm. and, and it did. Now, Pleasant View earns a three-star ranking from the Rhode Island Department of Education, the highest ranking achieved by any public elementary school in Providence. It also has over 75% of students proficient in English. Of course, none of this happened overnight, so I asked how she did it. I would say that the approach I would have to go with, because it'll never be one thing for one school, it's really going to depend on the people who are in that place that right. are, are these unique beings that have this passion and purpose, and depending on what the um, demographics of the community are itself, like, it'll never be one thing, but I do full scale believe in the full service community school model. Like, there's no question in my mind 
about what impact that model um, had on our community and within the community. Like, mm-hmm. so that again, it, it's finding the right community partners who share a vision and a mission to to make life uh, better for each other and and help each other kind of fulfill your purpose and your mission together. The other thing that I would say, and this is more um, pedagogically rooted than it is practically in terms of community partners, but you know, we took an approach at Pleasant View that really honed in on strengths and not weaknesses. Gara and the teachers at Pleasant View focus on more than the classroom including the attitudes the students and the community had about the school. It's not going to be about seat time. It's not going to be about rushing through the curriculum guide to make sure that you've covered something. Mm -hmm. It's about hands-on, project-based learning, where kids, yes, are getting the skills developmentally, but they learn to care about it and they want to learn more. They want to read more outside of school, not just in school. They want to run into school. What I found the most inspiring about the stories Garrett told about Pleasant View was how simple the curriculum was, but how big the concepts they were trying to teach. Take this lesson. And my favorite enrichment academy, and I think it still exists to this day, is called uh, Bake the World a Better Place One Cupcake at a Time. I mean, come on, that name. (laughs) And so the kids, these are like second and third graders, they would learn, they would get their math through baking, they would actually create a product, which was whatever they decided to make that week. And then they would have a bake sale the next day or, or that later that afternoon. And the, the proceeds, the monthly proceeds mm-hmm. from the bake sale, they would have a democratic process about which nonprofit organization will get the proceeds from the bake sale. And, you know, Pleasant View, the, I think they're probably 85 to 90% of those kids are on free and reduced lunch Mm -hmm. and teaching them that they can create things that matter and go towards things that they care about is it's empowering. Yeah. And so the more we're able to connect kids to things that matter in the world and that have meaning to them and just make the world better, we're better. So with all this experience, And after being at one of the schools that was part of the Johns Hopkins report, I wanted to know, what did Gara think about the Johns Hopkins report? Yeah, it was a bit of a gut punch in some ways because it's hard to read things like that. And in others, there have been people that have been talking about this for decades. Mm -hmm. So I'm not going to say, like some people say, oh, shocked. I wasn't shocked. I went to Pleasant View in 2011. They didn't even have computers that worked mm-hmm. so they didn't even have wireless internet like that's not shocking to me right. it's like I said it's a civil rights issue and then I asked for her thoughts on the state takeover that's a bold move I mean it's a, and honestly I, I'm gonna call it a risk show me a place that it's been done in this country that is the model mm-hmm. I mean we are aspiring to be the model She sounds skeptical, like Domingo did. For all this talk of everyone being behind the takeover, I'm wondering why someone who knows the day-to-day in Providence is worried. Well, I think it's because she knows exactly what the day-to-day is like. It goes back to what Paige told us last episode. You can give kids state-of-the-art technology, an award-winning teacher, and the best textbooks, 
but if that kid walks into school without breakfast, or if there was violence in their neighborhood the night before, they will not be at 100%. And when these schools and teachers are already given such little resources, how can the state expect to build off a broken system? Yeah, wow. So what you're saying is even if the state put as much money as possible into the schools, it might not be the solution. Exactly right. But no one ever claimed that money would solve all the district's problems. There's a fear among people, which Gare articulated, that the state takeover might not do much more than put new people in charge and reshuffle the decision-making process. While important, this is something that most kids will go through 13 years of school and never come into contact with. So how much change can it really create? But it's also important to recognize that looking at a problem as fundamentally broken is a very flawed approach. This is something Gara pointed out to me and something that was lacking in the report. There are plenty of people in the city, there are plenty of teachers who are doing incredible work. Mm -hmm. um, there are plenty of parents who have, um, you know, it, it, the, the one thing that that report did was act, you know, I would say honestly point out that the system's broken. The thing that it didn't highlight were the things that have gone really well in people's lives yeah. or in school communities mm -hmm. or in um, grade levels or, it, you know, like not everything is broken within the system. There's no secret sauce anywhere, but in the places that things where you're seeing growth and things are improving, what are they doing to make that happen? And it has to be just beyond strong, sustained leadership because actually the leaders are doing some things that are super important to move the needle, but it's the teachers who on a day-to-day -day basis are, are teaching kids mm -hmm. and, and things for kids are improving in terms of growth. What Gara highlighted again and again was how important it is for people to listen, including the state, the new education commissioner, the future superintendent, and even education researchers trying to find the best solution. I think people try to oversimplify things. I think they try to rush to judgment. I think they try to make the complex simplistic. And I think they're misguided in doing that. And I think if you take a mixed method approach to things um, and you really have a laser focus on, you know, what is going horribly wrong and what is going really well for either certain kids or certain classes or certain schools and trying to understand why that's the case, um, we'll get closer to a real answer to what's happening. Pleasant View is a perfect example because of all the negative expectations people had in 2011 when Gara arrived. There were people that never thought Pleasant View could do what Pleasant View did. They were like, Pleasant View has 42% special ed. They'll never, ever do what the state is asking of them. If you're gonna have that fixed mindset about a school or an institution or a city or a place, th that is not gonna help the cause. Like, just having the belief in people working towards a common goal to do something to make things better is like one step closer and at least like Providence can, will, and should be a model 
if this work is intentional, thoughtful, timely in terms of realistic, mm-hmm. and actually makes changes that can benefit kids and communities and educators and the people that are running those institutions, I do think positive things will happen and can happen and should happen. So cautiously optimistic. Yeah, but it's really easy to look at what she is saying and think, well, I'm not a state leader or an education researcher, so it sounds like there isn't a lot for me to do. Yeah, everything we're talking about, like structural issues of poverty and a broken education system, does sound pretty out of my hands. True. But it was also out of Gara's hands before 2011, before she jumped into the middle of it. So I asked, what can people do? Brown students, community members, anyone? Take the time to get to know PPSD people, kids, teachers, administrators, community partners Mm -hmm. and find ways to make a difference like on an individual level like just engage find ways find ways to engage in work that matters individually and collectively the the work that happens through swear center and brown and Mm -hmm. like like find just find your niche and find people who are doing this work and assume like don't, don't go in it with an attitude of you think you know what Providence schools are like until you've actually stepped foot into a Providence school. Mm-hmm. Take a step in. Meet some people that have devoted their lives to these kids and these families and um, have done so. At <laughs> It is not easy. The yeah. work is really hard. Mm-hmm. And everyone needs to recognize that. And there's no panacea. There is not going to be one thing, but if people just... Um, can appreciate how hard the work is and how how hard it is for the people who are doing the work every day and find ways to change the system, mm-hmm. that's what's going to make it better. Yeah. Because there is a lot that's broken. So it sounds like there's actually a lot of places to get started. Definitely. So whether Providence is your home for four years, you can't find Rhode Island on a map, or you have spent your whole life here, Gara had a message. And so in some ways, people need to care because this is like the principles that our nation was founded upon. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? Like yeah. this is, uh, isn't this what we aspire to is um, to create a society of educated citizens who care for and about the world and each other and to make it better? Like everybody needs to care. So where can students go for this type of involvement? We actually have so many opportunities right on campus. Gara even pointed out how much she loves BEAM, which stands for Brown Elementary After School Mentoring, a program which partners with a local elementary school. And there are so many other programs, including Bright and Sawyer Classroom Program. Actually, on December 5th, Rhode Island students, many of them from Providence Public Schools, showed up at the Federal District Court just down the hill for a hearing in AC v. Raimondo. This case is fighting for Rhode Island students' rights to civic education. Youth organizations across the state, like Providence Student Union, Arise, and Youth in Action, work tirelessly to mobilize students and teach them valuable civic lessons in action. And these organizations can always use help. Sounds like there are so many places for Brown students and others in the community to start. 
and countless other opportunities for people to engage in their communities and change the schools for the better, like showing up at city council meetings or the state house. Exactly. Thank you for following us on this journey. This was the final episode in our series on the Providence School Takeover, but there is so much more to this story. We encourage everyone, Brown students and others, to go out into the city and listen to the people. Take this as your introduction to the Providence Schools, because there are countless other stories to be told. I'm Morgan Honor. And I'm Rachel Lim. Thanks for tuning in, and we'll catch you next time.